There we go. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Global Math Department. My name is Jessica Bogie, and I am your host this evening. Tonight, we're going to hear from Dave Martin um, all about math, and everyone is welcome and everyone belongs. Um, before we begin our session, I did want to explain a little bit about how the Global Math Department goes. Um, we are an organization that is run solely by volunteers. So to keep our free high quality PD, we usually reach out and look for webinar speakers, webinar hosts like me, people that will write for our newsletter. Um, our newsletter writers are normally people that are sharing about an area of math or teaching that resonates with them and that they're interested in or that they're passionate about, or they discuss recent math blogs that help teachers reflect on their practice. If you would like to volunteer or know someone who would be great in any of these areas, please have them email us at globalmathdepartment at gmail.com or have them reach out to us on Twitter. So let's get started with tonight's webinar. One second. <laughs> All right. It's always fun when you've got dogs in there realizing that they didn't eat their dinner yet. Um, so before I introduce our speaker, I want to explain how our meetings work. They are recorded and are available typically about 24 hours after the meeting ends. So to view the recording, all you have to do is go to the same link you used to get here tonight. That also allow you to share that link with other people that you want to share the presentation with. Um, so the global math department community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversations throughout the meeting. Um, our presenter and myself will help catch questions to make sure that they are addressed, um, either during or at the end of the presentation. Um, so why don't we, I saw some of you were introducing yourself. So why don't you share where you're from if you have not already? and let us know where you are watching from and what you teach. Yeah, some people all over, thanks for joining us. All right, so it is that time, and um, our webinar speaker is Dave Martin. And a little bit about Dave before he gets started. Um, he has a master's of mathematics, a degree in education, and has a love for prime numbers. He has been teaching for 12 years, during which time he was nominated for the Teacher of Excellence in Alberta, has spoken across North America, and has successfully removed grades in most of his high school math courses. Dave has taught grades 6 through 12, was one of the division's math science lead teachers and is now currently a vice principal of a canine school. Some of his passions include playing board games, solving puzzles, and reciting the digits of pi, starting at the end. Nice. I like that one. So thank you for being willing to present to us, and it is yours. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks, thanks, ladies and gentlemen, for uh, spending your evening with me, and uh, I hope we're ready to have some fun. And I hope you have a piece of paper or a pencil or something around you because we're going to do some, some crazy math. And um, I want to start at something that's really, really important to me that I, I used to, as you heard, was a kindergarten to grade 12 math lead. 
And I learned something very, very quickly that uh, elementary math is anything but elementary. And we're going to do this right now, but even something just so simple as this. So just to imagine for a moment, um, you're driving to work and you're driving to work at 50 kilometers an hour. So I'm going to give you a simple, simple math problem. And you're driving to work at 50 kilometers an hour and you get to work and then you realize, oh man, you, you forgot your wallet, your purse, your, your credit card, whatever it is, you forgot it at home. So you turn around and you zip home at 100 kilometers an hour, at 100. So you went to, to work at 50, forgot your, your wallet, and then turned around and went, 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 went back at 100. What would be your average speed for this journey? Can you just write in the chat what you think your average speed? 50 there, 100 back. What's the average speed? Give you 30 seconds if you just want to type it in chat, what you think the average speed of this trip would be. What does your gut tell you? Okay, so I'm seeing, yeah, good. I see a 75 and immediately not 75. Good, it's not 75. And most people, when you ask this question, they think, well, the average of two numbers is just add them together and divide by two. Because we, we, we teach this a lot, that averaging. But of course, with speed, it doesn't work this way. Something so simple actually has a very, I think, beautiful answer. Because you spend more time going 50, in fact, twice as much than you do doing 100. So as it's actually 200 divided by three, not um, right? Because you would take twice as much. And so, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And so something so simple that has a very, I don't know, a really, really crazy answer that most people would get incorrect. Now, what I want to do is we're going to change the rules because we're going to do elementary. You're going to come with me for the next uh, 20 minutes or so in, uh, on a journey. And we're going to learn how to count. So you're going to go from kindergarten till about grade six with me in about 30 minutes. And I'm going to show you how, just right off the bat, this kind of early elementary mathematics is a little more difficult than you think. So I want you to hold out your fingers if you're not. Just look at your fingers. And you can see on the screen there we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Now, I don't know if you noticed why we call this uh, ten, but there's something very interesting about the last number that's different than all the other numbers. Something very interesting. And you'll notice that the last number, ten, is two numbers in it or two digits and it means that because we as we know in in kindergarten in grade one that 10 the the digit in front of the zero is a tens digit huh interesting now what we're going to do though is we're going to change the rules so for the next 23 minutes we're not going to be earthlings ladies and gentlemen we're going to mars okay we're going to mars so wherever you are right now, what I want you to do is imagine, if you can see on the screen here, you don't have a pinky and you don't have your thumb in both fingers, both hands. Sorry, my apologies. So all you got is this. All you got is these. Now imagine now you're in my kindergarten class and these are our fingers. We only have one, two, three, four, five. But remember, we're going to play by the same rules of mathematics, meaning that because this is all I have, when I'm showing you this, this would actually be a full set of things. Those earthlings call it, as they would when they show all their fingers, 10. Because think about this. 10 is simply showing all the fingers I have on my hand. So as Martians, we would count as 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 10. Hopefully that makes sense. And so from now on for, again, the next oh, 22 minutes... We are now Martians, and we have no access to the pinky or thumbs on our fingers. And we're going to see just how difficult, or maybe tricky, 
elementary math may be. Or maybe you're like me and you'll find it just as beautiful and joyful as everything else. So what I want you to do is in the chat, what number would that be in Earthling, or not in um, Earthling, in Martian form? What number is that? I see a three, then another three, and then a third three. Now, I know it's not nine because those Earthlings would call it nine, but we don't have the number nine in our world. We only have one, two, three, four, five, and 10. And of course, 11, 12, 13. We only do the digits one or zero through five. Good. I see Melissa. Melissa's awesome. Yeah, you guys are wicked. 13. Of course it's 13. It'd be 13 because the first two sets of threes is our full set, which is 10. And then we have three more, which is 13. Cool. So now think about this. Think about this. You're going to count with me. Grade ones. Awesome group. We're going to skip count. So imagine you're all on my little wonderful carpet in my math class. And we're going to skip count here by threes. And so wherever you are, you can say it with me. First one would be three. Now, remember, it's not six. Those crazy earthlings would say six. But us, us Martians only have the number zero to five. So we'd have three. Then it's a full set now. So it'd be 10, 13, 20, 23. So that would actually be the number 23. Why is it 23? Because it would take, in a sense, two full Martians' hands. Yeah, Adina, I hope I'm saying that right. Yeah, you guys are all, oh, I'm in the enrichment group here. The chat's just, is, yeah, you're all correct. So now let's count by twos. Let's count by twos, grade ones. Twos might be a little tricky. I don't know, I don't know. Let's try it. Um, I don't know if you can see my mouse. Can you see my mouse as I, yeah, I think so. Okay, so this will be two, four, 10. Remember, 10 is just really those, what those crazy earthlings would say, six. That weird number, that weird phrase. But for us, it's 10. So 2, 4, 10, 12, 14, 20, 22, 24, 30, 32, 34, 40. So that's the number 40. Perfect. Perfect. Great. So what I want to know is this. Can you write in the chat, what question am I asking and what's the answer? What question am I asking and what's the answer? So what's the addition problem? What would be the answer to that? I feel like Geneve and Adina get 100 gold stars for answering all the questions correct so far in the chat. Now, what you might see is, yeah, we see, okay, so these earthlings and us would count this number the same. This would be four. And of course, this would be five. Now, you'll notice something very interesting. Those earthlings might call this a six frame. But for us Martians, this is the 10 frame. And if you probably thought of maybe, if I just take this dot and move this over, I now got a full set of things. So in a sense, this is 10. And I have three left over, which would be 13. So hopefully you could see that, that four plus five is 13. Okay, try this, try this, try this. What's the question? What's the question? Here. Or what's the answer? What does what your brain do to figure out what the addition or the summation will be? I see five dots, then another five dots, then another five dots, and then four dots. So I see it's five plus five plus five plus four. What would be the answer to that summation? 
Now, I see uh, 31. Let's check it. Now, what again, what you might be doing, and, and I don't know, really helped me when I'm looking at this question, is to kind of visually move these dots around and fill up these frames. Of course, these are 10 frames, us crazy, not us crazy, us normal Martians. Those crazy Earthlings would call it six. But you can see I have a full 10 frame, a full 10 frame, a full 10 frame, and 10 plus 10 plus 10 is 30, plus 1 is 31. Nice, Adina, brilliant, brilliant. Great, exactly what she said in the chat. That's awesome. So we have 41. Now, humor me now on answer one of those questions. Answer one of those questions. We're going to remove the dots this time. I feel like we might be flying through this one. You guys seem very amazing Martians. We're in about the end of grade one, ladies and gentlemen. So one and three, I mean, if I was a Martian, I could show you one and three, and it's still using my fingers. As Adina said, this would be now four. If I go four, which is now four in my hand, and I add two more, ooh, I'm at a full set of fingers. That's 10. Good. And Melissa's right, five and four. Now five is really one number away from 10. So I'm going to take one from the four, put it into the five, making a 10 plus three, and give me 13. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, one more, one more. Pick one of those questions, or you could pick the challenge question. What are three different numbers, three unique numbers that sum to 40? So you can pick the super challenge question or pick which one. If you're still kind of struggling, just think of, you can draw some 10 frames. And I'm going to ask if, does anyone know how you might do, or can, can you explain how to do the last one? What's 33 plus 24? Now, Adina, interesting. Adina says 61. But remember, us crazy Martians, or us crazy, us regular Martians don't have the digit six. Those Marsh, or those crazy Earthlings have six. But we only have access to digit zero to five. Right? We have zero... One, two, three, four, five, and then we'd call this a 10 using the digits one and zero again. It's tricksy tricksy. I know what you're thinking. This is this is awesome date night stuff. Hey, you're bored at home? Date night. Try try some Martian math. Now let's uh let's see if I can switch this over. I want to look at 33 plus 24. Does anyone feel comfortable? I don't know if they're allowed to unmute themselves or can they write in the chat of how you would add 33 and 24. And I'll try to um, switch it and write on. Can anyone write out how they add 33 and 24? Okay, sorry. No, we do not have it. My apologies. This is what a good presenter would have done is ask that question before uh, the uh, session, just so you know. Okay, so 33 and 24. So really what we probably have hopefully have seen is you really have three tens and two tens. Right. So, Adina, we have three tens and two tens. So imagine a this is a 10 frame of tens, if you think about it. It's a 10 frame of tens. Brilliant. 
And so I have three tens. Oh, geez, I got so excited. I made another row in my 10 frame. Oh, okay. So you have one 10, two tens, three tens, four tens, five tens. Brilliant. And then, yes, three and four now. If I think of these as ones, one, two, three, one, two, three, and I'd have one left over. Well, this is another 10. This is another 10. So, of course, what we can do is take that 10 and put it in there. Put it in right there. So now I have 10 10s, a 10 frame of 10s, which is 100. And I still got this lovely guy over here, so 101. The reason I say this is, okay, personally, we're going back into uh, crazy or regular humanoids here. There's a reason I say this. There's a reason I specifically are going to break this question apart. It's because when I go into schools in elementary, sometimes that we teach kids is the best way is to stack these numbers. Now, imagine you're watching this webinar and we're doing Martian World. And I said to you, here's how you do it. Three plus four is 11, carry the one. And one plus three plus two is 10. So it's 101. I think we'd agree. Most people would be like, what just magic happened? And so I worry about that, how often we rush to this algorithm, as opposed to looking at these beautiful, beautiful visualizations of moving numbers around and flexibility. And so us as Martians, we learned that very quickly. I'd be curious if, if anyone at home stacked the numbers 33 and 24 in the Martian world to figure out how they add it. Okay, just a, this is a side. All right, Martians, we're up now to grade four. You guys have been flying, you've been flying. So I want to do one other thing now with you. I know you're, you're just as excited here. Your multiplication tables. So I'm going to take two minutes here. Two minutes is on the clock. Try the best you can on your piece of paper is, could you tell me the multiplication table? So we'll do a two minute. And if you're at home, you can pause it. Or when, if you're watching the recording, obviously you just pause and see if you could figure out your five by five multiplication table. Two minutes. Sorry, I'm, I'm laughing, Adina, because you're absolutely right. The first row, everyone goes to it, right? If you think if you're having stuck again, multiplication is just, again, thinking of it as repeated addition. So one times one would be one, one. So I'd be one, one, two, and so on. Give it one more minute. And this is not a time test by no means. And in fact, I'm modeling poor, poor behavior where we put time to time, time to assignments on uh, amazing math questions. Yes, Adina. Adina's already noticing some very cool properties. Isn't that threes are the super easy one for Martians in that those would be those humanoid fives where we say it's really easy to count by threes. So I'm going to show you the answer there. And uh, there's the uh, multiplication table done for you. And already, again, something that maybe you, you've, maybe we sometimes forget to do in schools is look at this beautiful multiplication table and what are the patterns you see? Does anyone see any patterns at all? Adina's already picked out the threes. So the threes are like those English, or English, those Martian fives, that if you skip count by threes, you're really, because three is half of 10. 
So you'd go 3, 10, 13, 20, 23, 30, 33, 40, 43, 50, and so on. Does anyone notice anything else that's interesting? And I'll, I'll ask you maybe about the row of five. What do you notice about the row or the column of fives? Something pretty cool is happening there, I think. Well, I think it's cool. Anyone at all? Um, maybe I'll give a hint. It's very much like those humanoids tricks of nines. I don't know if, yeah! Oh, the host coordinator, yes! Uh, is, yeah, the sum of digits is five. Because remember, five would be like the humanoid's nine. It's one away from 10. So by adding five every time, yeah, you're really adding a 10 and subtracting one. So you're going to add one to the ones or the tens digit and take away one. Yeah, Melissa. Yes, just like the nines. Awesome. Hey, hopefully you guys, this is a great, great time. Yeah, yeah, this is a great time on a Tuesday. Now here's something even cooler. Perfect squares. Who would have thought the perfect squares for us are 1, 4, 13, 24, 41, and so on. Now, the whole point of this lesson so far is hopefully you might be looking at those perfect squares and being like, I, I don't know how I would determine the next one. Well, that might be for kids in our classes where they're struggling with actually what is the idea that's going on behind, not the idea of perfect squares. And so here's already something really, really crazy. But you guys have been great. You guys went all the way up to like grade five. Flying in 22 minutes, in 22 minutes. So let's talk about fractions. Hey, what would be a third plus a quarter? <laughs> I'm kidding. We're not going to do this. But this would be a really interesting task. And I hope for just the big thing here is if when I said what's a third plus a quarter, your, your, your brain collapsed upon itself, maybe how I did when I first explored this, is it's because it's the numbering system that's causing me troubles, not the idea of summation of fractions. And I worry sometimes, I just taught grade nine for the last year, and I saw so many kids struggle. Algebra is not the problem. It's the number sense or the flexibility behind that might be causing some issues. And that algebra seems to be the vessel that we got to, to dis discover that there is some underlying issues with these students. Hopefully that made sense, right? Okay, we're going to go back to earth, back to earth. What did you guys think? Did you guys have some fun? Uh, you know what? If you're running ne next date night, go imagine your Martians with a four and a three on your hand. Four and a three. What about this like crazy Martian? This would be a 10. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. The possibilities, the possibilities. Now, I haven't really introduced myself. I know you heard a bio, but I wanted to get right into some math. So I want to tell you, but um, the, uh, there was a beautiful, beautiful, uh, what's it called a introduction to me, but I can tell you, honestly, this is me. I am a board game, aholic. I uh, can't drink and go on Amazon because uh, board games show up at my house the next day. This to me, and there's something that I wanted to share, is this right here. I hear all the time that English teachers should have these literacy libraries full of books. Yet in math class, we, we don't talk about math. What does a math library look like? And I think here's a picture is what you're looking at right here. Um, I have 157 board games. It's growing constantly. I'm always willing to play. I'm not saying play all these games with your kids. Don't play Cards Against Humanity. You're gonna, it won't go well at all. Don't leave that out of the classroom. But what I'm saying is, if you're asking who I am, my name's Dave Martin, and uh, I'm coming from Alberta, Canada. I, um, and actually, the bio's a little bit old. I'm super excited. I just got a post-secondary instructing job. Uh, primetime, don't, oh, you, it is there. Now I got to pause and find primetime, because it is, oh, or prime climb, right there. I don't know if you can see my cursor. It's in the middle, uh, middle right. So uh, don't worry, Jen. Thanks for the challenge. Uh, there it is there. So, but this to me is... 
this is, you know, people say like, you know, there's a math or are you a math person? And people all my life have been telling me this and I'm actually not that good of math. I'm just good at playing board games. I'm good at problem solving with deductive reasoning and having resiliency. And I think this is what should be present in every single math class. Again, not these specific games. I just took a quick picture, but um, I mean, Killer Bunnies is, I don't know if there's, actually, I would say this, every game you're looking at, it has some mathematical entity inside it. Will it help them add fractions? Maybe not. Will it help them do quadratic formulas as I saw a high school teacher was here? Probably not. But here's what it will do, is it will convince them that you're able to understand and be successful at the thing you're doing. Veronica, I 100% agree with you. What does this math person mean? I mean, I just taught grade nine, and I will tell you this, as all of your kids, and probably not all your kids, all of you with some capacity, with some student along the way, they've already been convinced that they're not going to be able to do what you're about to teach them before you even start talking. And this kills me. And so right here is a vessel of a way to get kids that uh, self-confidence built up, that everyone is a math person and everyone can do math at the highest levels. Now, another thing is I had the luxury of working with many teachers. And this is a question I always pose to educators is which one are we preparing our kids for? If we're looking at ways to generate better test scores, better memorization, faster students, then we're really preparing them for are you smarter than a fifth grader? But I think we can do better than that because if that's the case, this device here, my iPhone, is the smartest person in the room. This is the thing that can calculate the fastest and knows the correct answers. What I'm saying is I think we need to go better than that. We need to become myth busters. We need to have kids challenge things, figure out, ask questions, what are, what's happening. And I really think ultimately, yes, yes, Juan, yes, do any do math and do a person, yes, is this. This ultimately is the goal. I think this is it. I don't care if you teach pre-K. You could teach fifth-year calculus. We want kids to think like mathematicians. We want kids to do what it is that we would think mathematicians do. And repetitive problems in the same sense, over and over again, testing to see how fast they can do it is not what a mathematician would do. Now, I want to show you this is that in grade one, I asked a class. I thought a very good math question. And I'm going to show you how easy it is to get kids to think like mathematicians. I gave every kid 15 tokens. And I said, how many tokens are there? And every single one of them had to count one, two, three, four, five. And all I asked them was this, how would you arrange them so that the 15 tokens was easier to count? How would you do it? How would you arrange 15 tokens so that they're easy to count? What would you do? Three rows of five, awesome, awesome. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, three rows of five or five rows of three or a stack of 10 and then five more. But I'm going to tell you this. I don't know what you said to yourself. Maybe you didn't say anything, but whatever you thought, you're wrong. You're absolutely incorrect. And grade one, Susan, grade one, Susan got it right. This is how grade one did it. She's a grade one student. I don't care what you think the answer is. That's the correct answer. That's the absolute correct answer. This wasn't even my goal. I thought I was thinking of what people said, groups of five, groups of two. I wanted to see how well, how well they were skip counting. I wanted to see who's going to skip count by ones, by twos. And Susan here, with the biggest grin around her entire face, said, well, what about this? And I was like, this is amazing. This is brilliant. And what erupted was, what numbers can we make out of tokens with the same number of tokens the number we're trying to make? So can you make a one, a two, a three? And what erupted is kids started coming up with, well, no, there's a lower number, a lower limit. They didn't say lower limit. Sorry, I'm a calculus guy. But they had a lower number. And they said, I think after that, any number to infinity. And then they're like, how do I make infinity? It was brilliant. What erupted was just a simple, easy question 
and erupted in such a deep discussion. And I think is this, um, I've done a lot of research of how people can learn math and how people get to this abstract sense. And I will tell you this, that I think sometimes we skip over that middle part. We have kids playing with blocks at early ages. And oh my gosh, if you're an elementary teacher, if you are an elementary teacher, you have my billionth time respect. I got to tell you a quick story, ladies and gentlemen. I'm a high school teacher by trade. And I used to complain about the diversity in my class. How wide the walls of my classroom were. I was blind. I was blind. Here's how I was blind. I went to an elementary class. I got this uh, division role and I got to go into a grade one classroom. And I'm used to these, what I thought walls were large. They're not large at all, by any ways, like the edges of my classroom. And in a grade one class, I gave every kid uh, some tokens on a pumpkin. And I said, what I want you to do is give the pumpkin six teeth. Give the pumpkin six, six teeth. You can have as many as you want on the top and as many as you want on the bottom, but it has to have six. And my goal was to discover all the different ways we can add to six. I have one kid asking for more pumpkin sheets because he wants to figure out, find out all the ways on his own. And that exact same breath, I'm looking at Jimmy, who's getting all the different ways and really playing with number theory. And I look over there, and Jason has six counters in his mouth. And he's like, can I get all of them in my teeth? And I realize the walls of a classroom are much larger than they are in high school. And grade one teachers, you do a million jobs. Brilliant, brilliant job. My worry is as we go up and as we go up into junior high and high school, we miss this middle part. We miss such the crucial opportunity that kids play with blocks, then they draw things, they visualize, and then we go to abstract. And I'm going to give you a very, very easy example. Okay, I went to elementary. We're going to go a little more high school-ish, kind of, or not high school-ish, sorry, upper elementary, lower junior high. What are those numbers on the screen? Can you just tell me what those numbers are? I did this in a grade two class, actually. Uh, the idea is not really grade two, but the grade twos followed it. So if I drew the numbers one, three, five, seven, what are those kind of numbers? Well, how would you describe those numbers? Grade two kids would tell me, well, I'm missing every number. I'm skipping over every other number. And so hopefully you see one, three, five, seven is, they're odd numbers. They're odd. Now, I'm going to show you something that's kind of interesting in an abstract sense. And then I'm going to show you it again in a visual sense. And hopefully you can understand the illustration of how powerful visualization can be. So I, I take the first odd number, I have one, not interesting. Maybe I'll take and add the first two numbers. I get four. Okay. I'm going to add the first three numbers. I get nine. I'll add the first four numbers. I get 16. Does anyone know what's common about those numbers? What's common about one, four, nine, and 16? What are those numbers? Anyone, any ideas at all? Yeah, they're perfect squares. Now, maybe, and I'm telling you this, in grade two and up, when I authentically, I had, again, the best job. I got to experiment all these questions. I gave this to grade two. No one could tell me what was happening. Uh, junior high kids could. But again, this is an abstract sense. I'm going to give you the same question and how I gave it to grade two kids because I knew this would be too advanced for them. Is I asked them this, what numbers are here? And of course, they say the blue is one, the red is three, the green is five, seven, nine, and you're adding two every time. Okay, interesting. Again, they didn't use the word odd, but they just knew that it was, we're missing a number. Now watch what happens when I add one and three. Huh, I get four and it actually makes a cool shape. I add that into the next odd number, it makes also a cool shape and another cool shape and another cool shape and another cool shape. And all those kids were telling me these are perfect. These are squares. These are absolutely squares. Yes. 
Yes, it's a square, but when I add odd numbers together, I get squares. That's really powerful. Now, of course, in junior high now, this is mind-blowing. You drop the mic and walk out. This is why when we add odd numbers, we get perfect squares. The same idea, not in an abstract sense, but in a visualization. There's a way different meaning and a better understanding of what's actually happening. Okay? Now, with this, I'm going to share with you, which I think is one of the, um, well, I, I was playing with this, and it's a cool activity that I played with anywhere from kindergarten all the way up to, yes, and I'm not joking, calculus, is this. And we're going to start with this. This is a dice picture I made. I just took some dice and I made a picture. You get to tell me what number you see. So can you in the chat right now, tell me what number you see. And I'm going to model it with this. I see the number five just as a five on a dice. I see a dot in the top left, kind of a collection, or not a dot, but a collection of dice, collection of dice, then collection of dice in the other corner, and then one in the middle. So I see kind of like a five just by the orientation of the dice. You might also say, well, I actually see 40 because I'm going to count just the yellow dice. So there's 10 in each corner. So 10, 10, 10, 10, that would be 40. Does anyone see another number? And tell me, just in the chat, how did you count that number? Okay, 25 groups of four, good. Mm. Going down the diagonal. Um, I think there's six groups of four there. Two, three, four, five, six, yeah. Uh, the purple, the purple is 20, awesome, awesome. Now, <coughs> excuse me. Already what you're gonna notice is you give this to a class, and of course you would not give this in, in, in grade one. This might be a little too advanced with the numbers. But um, you actually can see that people self-differentiate. The students who want to count by big numbers will count by large numbers. And the students who count by smaller numbers count by smaller numbers. Maybe it's someone who's just, I want to see the number five. Well, how many ways can I see the number five is maybe the question I might be playing with. And so this is what's called a unit chat. Now, I got so excited about these, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is my Friday night one day. I, um, and this is a, a, a bit.ly, oops, sorry. If you go to bit.ly slash count for me, and uh, you're going to see, and here I'm going to just switch my, you'll see a website I made. Now, I'm going to be honest, this, this, is, this brought me joy. It was on a Friday night. My friends were like, what are you doing tonight? And I said, I'm playing with dice. And I don't know how crazy I'm going to get. I don't know how crazy I'm going to get. But what I did is I made these dice pictures. So I made dice pictures on just different ways of unit chats, of showing kids numbers in dice and orientation and saying, how do you see those numbers? Or what other numbers do you see? And yeah, I got so excited about this. I created these. And this is an awesome one. I had to go to a class that said, um, how many ways can you uh, count by fours and threes? So the, the teacher was saying to me, Dave, my, my students are struggling counting by fours and threes. So can you make something, an activity that will help them count by fours and threes? And so what I did was, is I made this picture hoping they'd count by fours and threes. Well, some jerk face started counting by sevens. He combined the four and threes and he skipped counted by sevens. So what's awesome is that it even has self-enrichment and built into these activities where you just show the number and just say, what do you count by and how do you count it? And have different ways students can do it. Now, um, I don't know if you have uh, read Dr. Nikki Newton's work. Dr. Dr. Nikki Newton is an amazing uh, researcher, I guess, worker. Uh, brilliant in math, brilliant in math where um, she has worked on how do we acquire multiplication facts? And I know that sometimes we just throw kids the multiplication table and kind of, and I don't mean this, but rudely, but, but you know, we're timesing by three, then timesing by fours and so on. But her research actually says this is the order you should teach it in, is times by ones, fives, and tens, then twos, fours, and eights, and then three, sixes, and nines. And of course, the only number we're missing is seven, 
well, only seven by seven. And so I made slides, if you click on those links, that will take you to pictures that will help them in that order of multiplication as well. Now, of course, please, 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 this is just a guide. You do not have to start in these pictures and then you go ahead and go crazy. Again, I know what you're thinking, date night, okay? Get a bottle of wine and uh, yeah, enjoy yourselves with these dice pictures. This is a great time. I don't know how crazy you'll get, but it's a great, great, awesome time. And so there's a, an activity that I love using. It's just how many or a unit chat of just asking kids. Now, maybe you're teaching uh, middle school or higher ed. And now you can do this in elementary too, but this would definitely hit some higher ed or middle school or high school uh, outcomes is, let's go back, is imagine we have now a dice chat and a pattern chat have a baby. And you could do this. Oh, I hope I didn't, uh, I, I maybe ruined it. For those who are going to watch the recording, do not pause that little moment. But this, is imagine this, is imagine now I'm going to do something a little different. Joe Bowler's work does this awesome, awesome activity. I don't know if you've read her, her stuff. She does brilliant stuff. Is that instead of giving kids figure one, two, and three and asking them for four, five, and six, what if you gave them the middle of a pattern and this? What do you think figure one is or figure three is? I made a pattern with dice, and each time I change something with the pattern, the same, and you're looking at the middle figure, the middle figure, not the middle finger, the middle figure. What, uh, what would that be? What would, what would figure one or figure three? Right in the chat. Come on. Two minutes. What would figure one or figure three be? Figure one is just the ones. Cool, cool, okay. And then so I would say figure three, you're imagining would have threes in them. Cool. Anyone else? I feel like I'm going to give digital gold stars to anyone who answers. <laughs> okay. Anyways, what my job here is, good. Uh, figure three has four groups. Good. Melissa, brilliant. Brilliant. So here's what you want to do in a figure, in a, in a, um, a pattern chat is you want to make a pattern so obscure that no one gets it right. And here's why. So we're all exploring our own patterns. So I go to Melissa, figure one has this. What would figure four have? Jennifer says figure one has this. What would your figure four have? And we can all self-differentiate on how complex or um, simple we want our patterns to be. But then we can all become back together when I say you're all wrong. And that's the figure. It's actually a shape and space lesson as well. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, well, I'm not kidding because that's really is figure one. It's a triangle instead of a square. It's actually the shape that's changing, not the dice. Now, I say this jokingly because in an authentic classroom, now we're all rooted in the same figure again. We all had time to explore our own patterns, so we're not bored. And now we're all exploring a pattern that no one has explored yet. So what would figure three be? And I'm telling you, I've heard kids, I've run this lesson many times. They use the word Pentagon in a sentence for an appropriate word, as opposed to a worksheet that says circle the pentagons. We actually are going to integrate shape and space into a number chat. Brilliant. Anyways, um, sorry, I just sounded like I just gave myself my own high five. That was terrible. Not humble of me. This was a cool idea. Anyways, so you can look at a pentagon and... Um, we look at here. Now we want to differentiate kids again to make sure that every kid is challenged or supported in the areas they need. So then we ask simple questions like maybe what does figure five look like? Or what does the total, the total number of dice, what is that? Maybe you're in high school. Maybe you're in high school and you say, what kind of regression would the total of the pips be? Pips are the dots on a, on a dice. That's a cool little party trick. You can throw that word out there. Uh, six extra TikTok followers if you do. 
<laughs> Actually, let's, let's not joke ourselves. I haven't been at a party for years. No one invites the math guy. Anyways, um, yeah. or you talk about the dice or the area in the middle and so on. And so these are brilliant questions that now kids can self-differentiate back, to, uh, back together. So, okay. The other one is a literacy term. You can compare and contrast, show different pictures. And believe it or not, you could tell me the difference of the pips there without counting either of them. If you just compare and contrast. And these are, again, activities that we can talk about with kids and that have low floor, as Melissa said, low floor, high ceiling, right? This was an activity. And again, this is, if you haven't read Joe Bowler's book, oh my gosh, get out of this webinar right now and go read Joe Bowler's book. Joe Bowler, Mathematical Mindset is amazing. And what she came with is these number talks. All I did, this is you're looking at is in a grade one class, simple grade one class. I drew these dots on the board and I said, how many ways, or not how many, how many are there? And what you're looking at is a chart paper of all the different ways kids counted. But on the left side, you're seeing something very magical. When the bell went and every kid went to recess, two girls stayed back and asked me, hey, Dave, can we make sure we got all the ways to count to seven? And I was blown away. This is a high school permutation combination math question. How many ways can you count seven items that grade one kids are playing at? I'm saying that I'm not saying recess is not important. Absolutely. They need to go out and play. But here are kids that chose or mathematics over recess. And it was so, so, so heartwarming. Oh, I just exploded with prime numbers. So I'm going to show you another thing is that if you aren't doing dot pictures, please do dot pictures at, at early ages. But we can get even better at higher up. We take the same idea, showing something that's kind of weird and asking, how would you do it? And I'm going to give you this one now. How would you multiply 15 and 12? Oh, and Jen, I'm going to get to you. We'll do this one question. And then Jen, I'm coming to you. I see your hand is raised. Can you write in the chat, how would you multiply that? No paper, all mentally. How would you multiply 15 and 12? The reason I asked this is I asked my grade nines this. Now, as you're, oh, sorry, I shouldn't talk. I, I will wait. I get so excited about mathematics. Oh, you don't have your hand up. Okay. Oh. Nope. My apologies. Does anyone in the chat? Okay, yeah. Double the 15 to 30, half 15. Look at all this. Brilliant. I love it. I love every single one of these. And now I'm going to show you what Fantima did. Fantima was a student in my grade nine math class and has showed me something that I never, th I've never thought of with multiplication. Fatima, by the way, is grade nine. I have a master's in mathematics. I'm not saying this with bragging rights, but I'm saying is I played with math for a lot more than she has. And she showed me something that I've never thought of it. Don't worry, Jen. I, I see your hand is raised. I will not call on you. But Fatima said this. I'm going to tell you what she vocally said to me. And let's see if you can follow along. She says 15 and 12 is hard, but I know 10s are great. So I'm going to take the 5 out of the 15 and the 2 out of the 12, leaving me with 3 and 6. And 3 times 6 is 18, times by the 10 is 180. That's what she said in my grade 9 class. Me and the uh, 28 other students in the class did not follow what she said. I asked, can you repeat it again? No idea what was going on. And so I'm going to draw it out for you what she did. And this was, I thought, was so brilliant. She said, okay, we know, we know the answer is 180. Let's see how we can get there. In her mind, she thought is 15 is 12, is 5 times 3. And then 12 is 6 times 2. And she realized that the 5 and the 2 make a 10. And that's super easy to multiply by 10. And then the middle numbers, of course, 3 and 6, make an 18. 
So she turned 15 to 12 by 12 into 10 by 18 and got 180. Easily seven new TikTok followers that day. This was so powerful. And it wasn't powerful if, if we would have just said, okay, let's do this question and now let's do this question and this question. And absolutely, I have never thought of flexible factoring. I'm going to use that term right now. Never even heard of that. That's brilliant. But I have heard of, in polynomial sense, when we learn in high school, how you have to factor and then refactor, but I've never applied it to numbers. And a grade nine student showed me this. And it was so brilliant to see her flexibility. Now, I'm a firm believer of this. I would rather have one kid do a problem five different ways than the same question five times over and over and over again. And I worry that sometimes we do the latter, not the former. And of course, there's always a balance. There's always a balance. But I worry that how many, how often do we get to explore the same question multiple ways? So I got so excited about this, ladies and gentlemen. I got so drunk on this idea that I actually went to my laser cutter and I made these, um, these stencils. And I took a laser cutting thing and I made circles. And I asked, how, how would you count these circles? And then I had fraction talks. How many fractions? What fractions do you see down here? And I got so excited, I put them all over my neighborhood. And I put these little things, magnets everywhere. Uh, the city called me and said, it's kind of like I'm semi-littering, but they're excited because kids are posting on their Twitter page. But it was awesome in that I had kids in my neighborhood going around to these signposts on their little exploring while they go out with their family walks. And if you haven't seen this already, uh, check on Twitter, hashtag MathWalk. And uh, yeah, the stuff that I got from this was so cool. All the different ways of kids counting and seeing fractions from a very, very simple task. And so uh, what do we got? We got 14 minutes. I'm going to leave it with one more. I do think the power of visualization is so important, is so important, is this, is that I think it can even open new dimensions. And, I, and I'm saying this tongue in cheek because we're going to do a dimensional problem. I hope that's okay. Hopefully you guys are excited. So what I want you to do is this, is um, on your, I'm going to just hang on, go to the other slide. Sorry, first time using Big Maker. I think we're here now. Sweet. You guys excited? Good. Okay. Uh, I asked that rhetorically because I can't even hear your answers. So I want you on your piece of paper is to draw me a shape that you know has three dimensions on your piece of paper. Draw me a shape that has two dimensions on your sheet of paper. Draw me a shape that has one dimension. And can you draw me a shape that has no dimensions? Or can you? Is one of these a trick question? I don't know. But two minutes are on the clock. Can you draw on your piece of paper a, a three-dimensional object, two-dimensional, one-dimensional, and no dimensions? Two minutes, and then we got, we'll finish this and we're done. A good presenter always ends early, especially on a Tuesday night at probably 10 o'clock or 9.45 or something. Yeah. Oh, Jonathan, I love that, that quote. Every picture tells a story. So 90 seconds left.
when you're done, uh, if you don't mind chart putting in the chat, um, I think I think we could probably. But what would a zero dimension or a one dimensional object look like, or would it look like anything at all? Could you could you put that in the chat? What does a zero dimensional object or a one dimensional object look like? Nice, you guys, man, you guys are brilliant. So some, most, some, not most, some people tell me that no dimensions is nothing, but actually believe it or not, it's a point. It is a dot. And here's something, again, we, we could explore maybe definitely not elementary, but junior high or high school, that if you looked at the screen and I was to zoom in and I actually, you know, zoomed in on that picture, that dot physically would get bigger and create space. But if we are in a Cartesian coordinate system with X's and Y's and I made a dot there, and authentically, I zoomed in on this dot. The dot would not get any bigger. If I zoomed out, the dot would not get any smaller. It is a point which has no part, is the definition of a dot. A point which has no part. A br brilliant, beautiful explanation in that it actually, it's a, it's a thing we represent, but takes up no space. Weird. Now, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. Maybe you've never thought of this. But now that I know zero dimensions has no point or just a point, believe it or not, I can replicate the next dimension by doing the following, just simply doubling what I drew and connecting it. And for those who said a line, you're brilliant. You're brilliant. You're all brilliant. You're all brilliant. But this, not but, and this one is correct. Now, how do we make a two-dimensional object? Well, like I said, all we do is take the previous dimension and double it. So in this case, I'm going to draw two lines and then connect them. And as you can see, I have this uh, funky, it's not a rectangle. It was a weird thing, but now it is. It's a rectangle or a square. Now, if I wanted to make the third dimension, I simply draw the previous dimension. I'm going to draw these two lovely rectangles and I connect them and I get a cube. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Hopefully. What would a fourth dimensional object look like then? If you've seen how to go from 0 to 1, 1 to 2, 2 to 3, can you draw something that goes from 3 to 4? Try it. Following the pattern of drawing it over and over again, what would that look like? Try it right now. Yeah, double it, double it, double it, everything. Correct. Are you ready, ladies and gentlemen? It's actually what's called a hypercube. I have had elementary kids, middle school kids, and high school kids playing with this idea, is how does a fourth dimensional object look like? Now, I'm showing you an animation. Now, what's really crazy is that actual hypercube is a square at all times. Now, if you're wondering how can it be a square at all times, keep in mind this. You're seeing a fourth dimensional object in a third dimensional space. We have no access to the fourth dimension, unfortunately. It would be like you drawing a cube on a whiteboard. It, it isn't actually a cube because you're drawing a third three-dimensional versus a two. Oh, it's spinning as trippy. Wait, Veronica. Wait, Veronica. You haven't seen this yet. If that's a fourth dimension, what would a fifth dimension look like? You've got it. It's a pentaract. Tell me that doesn't bring joy or fear or confusion or curiosity to you. And here's why it's all crazy. There's not a single triangle on that entire object. 
It looks triangular because we're looking at a fifth dimensional object in a third dimensional space. We're two dimensions away. Oh my gosh. It's like sleep in fear, crazy people, because there is a pentaract out there and we have no access to it. Okay. Now, why I love this is that here is, depending on what class you teach, we can look at patterning. What's the pattern here? What's the number of dots, edges, squares? And if you just Google uh, Hypercube and click on the Wikipedia, which, oh, let's be honest, Wikipedia is amazing. Here is some cool patterning. You teach middle school, you teach high school. Your question now is what kind of regression is this? Is this a quadratic regression, exponential, and so on? Oh, the joyful experiences. And it's just, it's awesome because every kid will either feel supported or challenged through this, okay? And even this, something so simple as this. And I, I, I've worked a lot in elementary, now middle school. So I'm going to leave at the very end with something even high schoolish to calculus. Visualization is key. I was my buddy, my best friend, Jeff. Jeff and I and I are playing Super Mario Brothers. I am the blue toad on the green Yoshi. I jump. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, something amazing happened. I just thought of the coolest calculus question. I paused my game, ran upstairs, and I took a picture of the screen. My buddy Jeff is like, what is going on? All I asked my calculus students or high school students was this. I am the blue toad and I jumped. When would be the best time I jump off Yoshi? And if you've never played Super Mario Brothers again, stop what you're doing now. Get out Super Mario Brothers, the coolest classic game ever. Uh, this is on the Nintendo Switch. But anyways, if you jump off Yoshi, you can jump again and double jump. And I said, my goal here is to kill this guy. Bump him on his head. What's the best way to do it? And ladies and gentlemen, I had the most eye-opening experience of my life. I showed this picture to calculus kids. 32 calculus students, to be exact. 32 of the most brilliant minds in the school, supposedly, because they're of mathematics, because they're taking calculus. Do I believe they're the most brilliant minds? No, of course not. But I'm saying is that they're all calculus kids. So there's supposedly no math. 32. 10 minutes went by before one kid said, Maybe we should put an X and Y grid on it. 10 minutes went by for 32 kids to one of them to figure out we should put an X and Y grid on it. Why? Because this is the first time in 12 years of their education, they got to put the X and Y grid on a picture. It came to me very evidently that every single grid they've ever seen on any picture has been put on for them. And I know this because we did solve this problem in a class and they put the origin in the worst, worst place ever. This is the most useless location ever, but we ran with it and we had a good debrief after and we talked about how terrible that choice was. But they admitted that this was the first time in 12 years of schooling they said, I get to put the origin on. Think about your textbooks. Think about your static images that you give kids sometimes that all that some preliminary work that mathematical thinking has been done for them. That's not full fault of ours, but we have to make sure always that sometimes they get to think like the mathematician. They get to think of where's the best place to do this and so on. Okay. Now I'm going to leave you this. A good, a good presenter always leaves five minutes early. If you go to bit.ly slash Martin Fun Math, you are going to find a website of all my curated uh, websites, amazing activities and stuff that I spent 10 years curating while I was in my job. And so if you go there, everything that's a joyful honestly and i know i've said this many times this is date night again you're bored get out your favorite adult beverage go to martin fun math and you'll be like oh my god we're gonna play with dots today joyful time if you need to get a hold of me or any questions there's my email and if you're on twitter there it is so it's uh, four minutes early a good presenter always ends early thank you for spending your tuesday with me i hope you had fun i had a blast uh thank you very much Awesome. Lots of fun. Some of those are my 
I've used those dice pictures before too. Some of my favorites, but not in the way that you use them. So now I have like <laughs> more ways to use them. Um, anyone have any questions before we head out? Anything you wanted, you can toss it in the chat. seem to be okay well let me wrap up a little bit here and uh, take care of the things that we need to do to wrap up so um thank you so much dave for sharing with us and everyone who attended tonight thank you for joining us remember the recording will be available in about 24 hours so if you wanted to share this with other teachers in your building or other places feel free to send them that same link that you came to tonight and you can share. Um, our next webinar is actually going to be on September 6th. And it is, the session title is Play Boral, Testing Your Probability, Intuition, and Confidence. The description says, join us as we explore the game Boral and use some selected randomness scenarios to test our probability simulation. We will then explore these scenarios through simulations in both Desmos and GeoGebra. And when possible, generate coding situations that enumerate all of the possible outcomes. And it is being presented by Steve Phelps, who is a great presenter, and I know you're going to come out with a lot of great ideas, just like we did this evening. So thank you for joining us this evening. We will see you in two weeks, same time, same channel, same location. Good night, everybody.